On this week's prequel episode, we've got our Freaky Friday fan poll follow-up. We're learning about E.M. Forster and previewing A Room with a View. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another week. It's another prequel episode. Let's get right into it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons. That's why. We have two new patrons this week joining us both at the $5 Hugo Award winning level, getting access to all of our bonus content and the backlogs of our bonus content. We have first up Tim Wahoo. Thank you, Tim Wahoo, for supporting us for $5. <laughs> Heard us talking about him. I was like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> so thank you, Tim Wahoo. And our other $5 patron new this week is Laura Pinhaligon. Penhaligon. I don't know how to pronounce that name, but it's cool. I <laughs> that, hope it's Penhaligon. Penhaligon. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> either way, very cool. Uh, thank you both very much for supporting us and uh, enjoy that bonus content. Now our Academy Award winning patrons that we thank every week who support us for $15 or more per month. And they are Matilda, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Just Another Patron, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says It Calls From The Veil is out now, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much. We appreciate it. Also wanted to thank uh, Ian from Wine Country. He was recently on uh, Embrace the Void, Aaron Rabinowitz's, uh, one of his podcasts, and gave us a very nice shout out because he didn't have anything to shout out for himself. So he shouted us <laughs> out. So we appreciate that, Ian. Thank you very much. And it was a very interesting episode. Uh, go check out Embrace the Void. All right. Let's see what people had to say about Freaky Friday. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like. Uh... Your opinion, man. More than I thought they might. Yeah, we. I was like, the phone was blowing up today. Yeah. Like, everybody got their comments in last minute, I feel <laughs> like. <laughs> On Patreon, we had five votes for the movie and zero for the book. Steve from Arizona said, The book definitely reeks of cringe. For us Gen Xers, this train of thought about creating good, obedient children was pretty prevalent even in the late 70s and into the 80s, where Ronald Reagan and Billy Graham were supposed to be my inspirations for a good, obedient, consumerist life. I only watched the movie because my much younger sisters wanted to see it, but it was actually kind of silly and fun. Plus, I still had a thing for Jamie Lee Curtis thanks to her role in True Lies. Why she never tried being in any of her husband's films is a mystery to me, considering she does have a quirky air to her performance. She's married to Christopher Guest, mm. which I did not know. I did not know that either. I feel like I should be writing the listicles for BuzzFeed that are like celebrity couples yeah, you didn't, didn't know, know existed. existed. Yeah. Um, They've been married since 1984. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. It's more than me. Like the eight, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's also longer than you've been married to Christopher Guest, so also true <laughs> in the technical sense, which is the best kind of true. Yeah, uh, Steve also said, anyway, fun episode and another hot take. I was not into the soundtrack, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, not Music every is, not everybody yeah. can be uh, as cool as us and be <laughs> into a 2000s pop punk, so yeah, that's very true, <laughs> very true. 
And our other comment on Patreon was from Ian from Wine Country, who said, I chose the movie for a few reasons. The book was okay, a nice early 70s book aimed at tweens and extremely of its time. The little brother who is an angel who Annabelle hates because he's perfect looking, well-behaved child who never gets in any trouble, mostly because he never does anything wrong. The body swap was never explained other than her mother did it somehow, which was some true deus ex machina bullshit, though. Boris, by the way, is actually named Morris. She's just gotten it wrong because of his adenoids thing. He has like a a, a sinus thing going on oh. in the book the whole time. I didn't talk about it because it wasn't important to the story. It was just kind but of like a random Morris thing. Morris and not Boris? Yeah, I guess so. I don't remember that. But <laughs> okay. I was also like kind of trying to be done with the book at a certain point so i probably just missed that interesting okay conversation ian went on to say the 1976 movie with jodie foster essentially stays true to the book only adding things to make it a more exciting movie annabelle plays baseball with her brother while in her mother's body and the mother is forced to take part in a water skiing exhibition while in her daughter's body So when I got to the Lohan version, I was surprised and confused by all the changes they made. Like, most of the events and characters are just different. A whole new love interest and career for mom, garage bands and boys on motorcycles for Anna. Much like the Bourne identity, the writers seem to have thought, that's a cool concept, let's keep that and change 95% of the other details. But it works. Telling the story of a 70s housewife swapping with a 13-year-old female Holden (laughs) Caulfield would not make any money at the 2003 box office. But punk rock Lohan swapping with Cougar JLC, that's money. Got Chad Michael Murray on a Ducati for people that appreciate the aesthetics of that. True. The NCIS guy is a saint of a fiancé for Curtis and a fun little engagement party slash battle of the bands tryout climax for the third act. It all works while staying true to the spirit of the book, i.e. seeing things from another's perspective will help you appreciate both them and yourself more. Excellent way to update the story for the early 2000s. I was very put off by the racist Asian stereotypes and the cause of the swap being cursed fortune cookies, but I seem to remember us not knowing better yet in 03. Well, in case you missed the prequel episode, we did know better. (laughs) That was, or at least to some extent, um, that was definitely something that critics called out. Not even just like Asian American critics Mm -hmm. or anything, like Ebert called it out and like other people were like, that seems weird and bad. Um, but in general, I, your point is fair that it's it's not something that we were as yeah well, and I think too or, like as we should have been general audiences that would have been going to see this in right. two thousand three probably would not have been like no. that's bad no no probably wouldn't have thought anything of it no um, but we've progressed on from that at least yep, a little bit at least a little bit. On Facebook, we had three votes for the movie and zero for the book. Adam said, I haven't actually read the book, but from your discussion, it sounds rough. So hands down, my vote goes to the toward the much better messaging of the film. Mm-hmm. Laura said, I never actually saw this movie as a kid, but I fondly remember the trailers and its presence in the overall 2000s. That was my existence of it. Yeah. It was from trailers and just like, yeah, it existing. Despite never actually seeing it, hearing bits of the trailer in the prequel episode for some reason made me super emotional and nostalgic. So I was considering grabbing the book to read, but after listening to the episode, I think I'll pass. 
I'll definitely look for the movie to watch at some point soon. Although it has some problematic qualities, mainly with the casual racism, it's hard to think of movies from the 2000s that aged perfectly. That's true. Overall, its message seems timeless and should be re- and should be regarded as one of the staples of 2000s culture. Mm-hmm. Or at least, yeah, for this type of yeah movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for the for the age range, for like the kind of movie it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Crystal said, I'm so glad I didn't read the book. That's some hardcore boomer energy. (laughs) Side note, morbid curiosity led me to watch the 1976 version. 70s Disney knew the book's attempt at a morality play was obnoxious. Even the awkward four minute long animated opening with a song sung by Jodie Foster Hmm. and the 10 minute long finale that involves a car chase, water skiing, accidental hang gliding and a healthy amount of green screen with obvious stunt doubles is an improvement over what you described in the book. (laughs) All right. That sounds wild. It does. Very interested (laughs) in what's going on in that. I bet it's only like 90 minutes. We could just watch uh, it. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that. I feel like that's better left in my imagination, honestly. And our last comment on Facebook was from Charlene, who said, I saw the TV movie from the 90s as a kid slash tween. It didn't leave much of an impression on me. This one, I first wanted to see more for Jamie Lee Curtis than Lindsay Lohan, but they both did great. Just such a fun movie. By the way, the only book format available at my library was an audio produced in 1996, and the original slur was there, unsurprisingly. Curious if it's the same with newer editions, but not curious enough <laughs> to pay $7 on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, it would have to be much later for that to be removed. I'm thinking yeah, like I think so. mid 2000, yeah. like 2010 onward before well, that. Yeah, would and even... that's, that's what I'm like. I, I'm wondering if there was a reprint to go and go along with the movie and maybe then maybe, maybe even that i wouldn't i would but they did not be surprised if it they wasn't. did another like disney channel original movie version of it and like i want to say like the late 2010s sometime oh really and if they did a reprint of the book for that i, I would I imagine would that, imagine yes. it would get replaced yeah. with something yeah. on twitter we had 12 votes for the movie and zero for the book Kelly Napier said, did Lindsay Lohan have a music career? Excuse me while I pull my copies of Speak and a little more personal raw from my 200 disc case logic CD case. Also, the movie rocks. Fair enough. You got me. (laughs) I'm sorry that I dare insult the (laughs) prestigious music career of Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, I knew she did some music. I didn't remember her music as well as I remembered, like, others from that same era. And that was my thing. I had a feeling she did, because they all, like, everyone, like Like, I remember a lot of Hilary Duff's music from that era, but not so much Lindsay's. I think she just never, she clearly didn't blow up in the, or, you know, it wasn't as big of a part of her career as as it was for some of the other stars from around that time. Shelby says, It Calls from the Veil is out now, said, The book was interesting in a time capsule way, but the movie would win for the soundtrack alone. Also, the scene where Chad Michael Murray screams baby one more time and Lindsay Lohan hits him like a linebacker <laughs> lives in my head rent free. <laughs> Me too. What a good scene. What a fun scene. <laughs> On Instagram, we had five votes for the movie and zero for the book. Anal fracture underscore 42. Yep. Um, anal fracture let me know that was indeed how their I, name was I pronounced. had a feeling. 
Um, they said, for all the reasons you gave, I loved the stepfather character in particular. Mm-hmm. And Len Flakasinski. Mm-hmm. You did it. I did it. Nailed did it that it. time. Um, said, as a kid, I definitely sided with Anna. Even as an adult, I still do. I think Jamie Lee Curtis plays her way too mean and dismissive of, of Anna in the beginning, especially considering the catalyst to Anna not being let to perform is the rehearsal dinner. The writer should have made it the actual wedding. That way we can see both of them have commitments that are very important. I almost think the wedding would have been too big. I think that's the thing. I think if it's the yeah. wedding, you have... I mean, he's going to go on to expand on here. Yeah. But I, I think if it's the wedding, it's very... like The movie very clearly was switching and making it something where it was giving us... Anna's perspective and was yeah. was making uh, uh, intentionally so making Jamie Lee Curtis's character kind of the villain, if not the villain, yeah. just wrong, unreasonable, unreasonable. And I think if you make it the wedding, it does make it a more complicated like, yeah. but it also it changes the complete point, I think, and message of. The book, oh, let's, fin let's yeah. let us finish before uh, yeah. the movie. Um, Len went on to say, because as it stands, it doesn't make much sense as to why Tess wouldn't let her go to the audition. And that's the point, but yeah. yeah. Uh, adding to the fact that their father just died, Tess is completely unresponsive and belittles her daughter's completely normal behavior for someone whose family member died. It doesn't feel like they both need to learn a lesson. It feels like Tess is a negligent mother who has no empathy for the fact that Anna's dad died and is completely dismissive of everything in Anna's life sometimes parents be like that and sometimes parents be like that and I think that's the point of the movie I will say I think you're slightly overselling how much how like dismissive and uninterested and and sort of um bad of a parent Jamie Lee Curtis is in the beginning at least a little bit maybe a little I, I would say a little bit um but I think that is the point this movie is not Hey, and it's it's just a different well it's not a different message it's it's the same message as the book in the other direction i guess mm -hmm. kind of but i think what what lynn is looking for was a movie where and i think this movie does that a little bit but like where it's a more equal like you both need to appreciate the perspective of the other person and grow together yeah through that experience whereas the movie is going the the, the mom is being unreasonable and and is forgetting what it was like to be a kid and yeah. and and what the daughter and, and it's the thing we talked about a lot in the episode is like only one of these two people has the experiences of the or yes not the exact experiences but has the perspective of or having been should through, have that perspective could have the perspective of having been the age that that person is and mm -hmm. that's the mom yeah <laughs> it is not the 16 or 17 year old daughter and so it is on the mother to be more receptive and um understanding and um and 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 it is it's the daughter is allowed to be selfish and or at least to some extent mm -hmm. is allowed to be a little bit selfish and a little bit what you know a, a moody teenager um and that it's not an equal disparity between those two things like yeah her, her actions of being uh the mom's actions of 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 being this you know um disaffected and and not you know um not doing a good job raising her daughter is not an equal on equal footing with the daughter being like kind of obnoxious sometimes. And so it, the movie is much more of a message for parents than it is a message for kids. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, it, to me, it just sounds like Lynn was kind of looking for one where it was maybe a little more balanced. Mm -hmm. I think the movie still gives us a little bit of that balance. Like it is like Lindsay Lohan does appreciate 
yeah, what her sure. mom does and, and like the stress of her job and stuff to some extent and, and, and kind of gets a little bit of that. Um, but it's not equal. And I think I think that's what kind of Lynn is yeah. addressing here. And Len went on to say, all that being said, I still love everything after the initial setup and their relationship. Jamie Lee Curtis's speech at the end never fails to get me teary eyed. I also, like Katie, grew up watching this and The Parent Trap repeatedly. Growing up with red hair and being an only child at the time, finding out you have a twin is like a dream come true. <laughs> still love watching both movies and still have Take Me Away in my rotation. It does feel a little weird being a 24-year-old guy and watching The Parent Trap. Ah, don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah. Um, since the first act is just hijinks with a bunch of little girls. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes that movie fun. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Also, it's interesting to me that you're 24 and grew up watching those movies because that's like those movies were like in my childhood and I'm in my 30s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, not obviously they exist. It just seems like it would have been, you know, it could have, I would be interested to wonder why those would be the movies. Yeah. Like an older sibling, maybe, or something. Lynn did say they were an only child. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I missed Um, it. Yeah. 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 yeah, Because that was my first thought because my younger sister, Jenna, watched a lot of the same movies as me growing up because i was there to be like okay and now we're watching right. the princess diaries right <laughs> uh, so, yeah that's all i'm saying it's so a little interesting that somebody you know 10 years younger than me um because yeah those movies came out when i was yeah a teenager yeah. or preteen yeah they would have been like three i guess they, you know they're old enough to watch them they're just a little kid yeah. So yeah, it makes sense, sure. I guess. Yeah. Because Parent Trap was like 2000 or something, right? Like it was before even Freaky Parent, Friday. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because she's considerably yeah, younger. She's I think like, Parent Trap was like a late 90s. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's fair. If I was like 10, he would have been a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's not unreasonable. It's just watching yeah. them at different age ranges. I was watching yeah. them at the age of the characters in the movies. And mm-hmm. they would have been watching them as like a little kid. Yeah. So Parent Trap, another movie we will eventually get around to yep. on this show. One of these days. What was the final vote here? Uh, so the book got absolutely crushed, yep. got demolished, pulling in zero votes to the movie's 25. Hot dang. That is a, a trouncing, a shutout. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you all very much for commenting uh, and uh, giving us some great feedback it's time now for us to learn a little bit about our next author, E.M. Forster. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Edward Morgan Forster, better known by his pen name, E.M. Forster, was an English author uh, best known for his novels, particularly A Room with a View in 1908, Howard's End in 1910, and A Passage to India in 1924 um although he wrote all kinds of things not just novels um he's today considered one of the most prominent and successful of england's edwardian novelists i think i've read a passage to india i think that's the only one i read i read it in college thought i read a passage to india in high school but i could be thinking of a different movie or a different book no pretty, i definitely you read definitely that. read because i remember one. this cover yeah i, I remember yes that cover. that's the the classic yellow cover yeah um I, yeah, I, if I, I didn't read the whole thing i at least read like a significant chunk of it but then, i read but I yeah I, I read a passage to india in college it's some was well, one that i would like to revisit at some point maybe because i remember not liking it but yeah. I would like to give it a fairer shake because I also didn't like the class or the professor. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading this because I remember um, Cyril Fielding and Dr. Aziz 
Yeah. I remember those names. Yeah, I read this. I remember not hating it, even in high school, but I don't, I don't know. It's been a long time, so, obviously. I remember very little of what, what that book is about. No, yeah, I don't, I don't either, but. Um, anyway, uh, Ian Forster uh, was born an, er, an only child into a comfortable middle-class family. His father died before he was two, so he was raised almost exclusively by his mother and other female relatives. Uh, he inherited some money and trust from his paternal great-aunt, which was enough for him to live on and, and enabled him to go on to become a writer. Um, he attended King's College, where he became a member of a discussion society known as the Apostles, um, who met in secret to discuss their work on philosophical and moral questions. There's a lot of like writer groups like that. Yeah. If you look throughout history, uh, many of the members of that group went on to um, be part of what became known as the Bloomsbury Group, um, of which Forster was also a member in the uh, 1910s and 20s. Uh, he graduated from King's College with a BA with second class honors in both classics and history. Hmm. Um, and then spent some years after graduating, like traveling in Europe. It also feel like a, a secret philosophy group called the Apostles is just like a very Oxbridge thing. Cause mm -hmm. like the school is just like made up and like those, like, cause King's College is Cam Oxford, right? I have no I think idea. It's Oxford might be Cambridge. It's one of the two. <laughs> I don't know. And like both of those universities. All of their stuff is like fake. <laughs> like if you read about like the the stuff they do at those uh -huh. schools, it's non. It's like Hogwarts. It's ridiculous. They like wear things that have ridiculous names and have call everything ridiculous name. It's so like it seems very uh -huh. like in line for the uh, like students at that school to form like a secret underground philosophical. Yeah organization to meet by candlelight and talk about morality and philosophy anyways yeah uh you can't do that at a state college in america nobody wants to do that with no, you that's not true <laughs> it depends on that's not true but yeah my group of friends we called ourselves the back row mm. but we were not discussing uh moral and philosophical questions I started, that was not what our group was for yeah our I mean, I started a chapter of the Secular Student Alliance at my, uh, or Association Alliance at my university, and that's all we did was sit around and talk about philosophy and stuff, so. Um, so I was not initially going to do a segment on Forster for this episode because I do get burnt out on doing author segments, um, but then I learned something about him that I think will be important to our understanding of his work. Uh, this is a lens that I would like to apply mm -hmm. as we discuss uh, the, the book and the film. Uh, now, bearing in mind that, like I said, I did read A Passage to India while getting my bachelor's degree in literature. And I do not recall this ever coming up, which is just another reason for me to dislike this professor. Uh, but Ian Forster was gay. Well, oh, interesting. Yeah. This you had an interesting revelation. Well, just wait till we get to my notes. This is very <laughs> fascinating. I don't know if you read my notes, but this I is very not. fascinating. When we get to my notes, momentarily, I have. To, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> um. So in 1906, uh, Forster fell in love with um, a man whose name I'm bound to get wrong. Um. 
Say Sayed Sayed Ross Masood, yeah. um, who was an Indian future Oxford student that uh, Forrester was tutoring in Latin. Because what <laughs> what other romantic thing would you tutor someone in yeah. than Latin? True. Um, so, uh, but Masood had like a very romantic, poetic view of friendship, which apparently ended up then confusing Forrester. Um, so that didn't end up the way that he might have hoped it would, I mm, think. Okay. Um, however, his final novel, um, Passage to India, again, um, was dedicated to hmm. Masood. So obviously he still felt very fondly for him. Yeah. Uh, following uh, all of that, he traveled some more. Um, and then in 1914, Forrester traveled to Egypt. Um, he was a conscientious objector in the First World War mm-hmm. and served as a chief searcher for missing servicemen um, for the British Red Cross um, in Alexandria. Hmm. And while stationed there, um, he had sex with another soldier in 1917 um, and wrote in his diary that he'd lost his R, meaning respectability. Hmm. Okay. Um, I also found um, some articles kind of surmising that one of the reasons Forster was so careful to like keep himself in the closet was because when he was 16 years old, Oscar Wilde mm. was sentenced mm-hmm. to two years of hard labor for homosexual acts. Um, something at the, at the time was like an incredibly sensational tabloid right. scandal. Yeah. Right. So not, not only was he like tried and sentenced, his name was also dragged through the mud. Yeah. You know, Forrester lived to be 91, uh, obviously skipping forward a bit. Um, and although he wrote his last novel, A Passage to India, in 1924, he continued to write and create after that. What, so what year did he die? 1970 or okay, 71. So he, he, in the last 50 years of his life, he didn't like publish a novel. Yeah. Oh, okay. He did, he did other stuff. Right. He, but, didn't, he didn't write any more novels yeah, after that. Yeah, yeah that's on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But most of his novels examine class difference and hypocrisy, another thing that's going to be important in Mm -hmm. our upcoming discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think at this point, I I think we've hit everything that we need to understand about E.M. Forrester for this episode. So I'm going to cut things off here. But happy news is that in the 60s, he did get to have a relationship um, with uh, Matai Radev. Um, a Bulgarian art collector. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't have to stay in the closet for his well, entire that's nice. life. That's Good nice. For him. It's nice. Well, that's nice. All right. Let's learn a little bit about his book, A Room with a View. This is not at all what we were led to expect. I thought we were going to see the Arno. Lucy! I have met the type before. They seldom keep their exploits to themselves. Exploits? A Room with a View is a 1908 novel about a young woman in the restrained culture of Edwardian-era England. Set in Italy and England, the story is both a romance and a humorous critique of English society at the beginning of the 20th century. As most English novels yep. are. <laughs> yep. uh, a Room with a View had a lengthy uh, gestation, as Wikipedia called it. Mm. Uh, by late 1902, Forster was working on a novel set in Italy, which he called the Lucy novel. 
Uh, but in 1903 and 04, he pushed it aside to work on other projects, and he was still revising it in 1908, shortly before publication. Uh, the novel contains allusions to other writers and artists, such as Beethoven, Byron, Tennyson, Thoreau, and Dante, among others. Hmm. In 1998, the Modern Library ranked A Room with a View 79th on its list of the 100 best English language novels of the 20th century. And aside from the film that we'll be watching, A Room with a View has also been adapted for television, radio, and the stage, both as a straight play and a musical. All right, let's learn a little bit more about A Room with a View, the film. Do you know anything about Miss Lavish's novel? There's a scene in it. The hero and heroine make love. Do you know about it? They're on a hillside and Florence is in the distance. Oh, dearest girl, she hasn't put that in her novel. My attitude quite an indefensible one, is that so long as I'm no trouble to anyone, I have the right to do as I like. It is, I dare say, an example of my decadence. I don't mean you're going to marry that man. He's the sort who can't know anyone intimately, least of all a woman. You love the boy body and soul as he loves you. Of course I do. What did you all think? A Room with a View is a 1985 film directed by James Ivory, known for directing The Remains of the Day, Howard's End, and Call Me by Your Name. It was written by Ruth Prower Jabvala, the remains of the uh, who wrote The Remains of the Day, Howard's End, and Heat and Dust are her three they're like, most. They're like the Forrester Dream Team. Yes. So when we did The Remains of the Day, same two people, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and they, yeah, they worked together on Remains of the Day and Howard's End together. They worked on other films together. Um, but yes. The film stars Helena Bonham Carter, Julian Sands, Maggie Smith, Denholm Elliott, Daniel Day-Lewis, Judy Dench, and Simon Callow. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with, I believe, wow. 35 reviews. So not like hundreds, but still. Uh, an 83 out of 100 on Metacritic and a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $21 million against a budget of just $3 million. And it was nominated for eight Oscars and won another three Oscars. The winning, uh, it's it won the awards for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Costume Design. And its other nominations were Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Denholm Elliott, Best Supporting Actress for Maggie Smith, Best Director, Best Cinematography for Tony Pierce Roberts. And I'm dying because Tony Pierce Roberts, as I was looking at his IMDb, shot uh, A Room of the View, Howard's End and Remains of the Day and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then went on later in his career to shoot the Doom film from 2005 and Vampire Academy from like 2015 or something. Maybe so a very wanted, diverse. Uh, yeah, maybe he just wanted to do fun projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just very interesting to me. I, I've never seen Doom or the Vampire Academy. They may be gorgeously shot. I have no idea. I mean, they probably are. This guy's a good cinematographer. It's just I thought it was a very... <laughs> You know, normally cinematographers tend to stick in at least some sort of oeuvre, (laughs) but like just kind of all over the place, Uh, which is fun. If I was a cinematographer, I'd want to do the same thing, honestly. Uh, In 1946, uh, so back in 1946, getting into the actual production of the film, 20th Century Fox offered $25,000 for the rights to the book, but Ian Forrester did not hold a high opinion of cinema and refused. Nice. He was like, oh, these <laughs> movies, I don't know about it. It doesn't seem like real art. And uh, refused selling it. 
After Forrester died in 1970, King's College at, there we go, Cambridge, that was what it was, at Cambridge inherited the rights to his books, but the chief executor at the time turned down all offers for film, uh, to, to sell the film rights in 1970. But then 10 years later, film enthusiast Professor Bernard Williams became the chief executor uh, of his estate or of his works um, and uh, made the film rights available at that time where they were purchased. Uh, some other fun facts. This was Helena Bonham Carter's theatrical debut. She was 19 at the time of mm. filming. Uh, this was shot extensively on location in Florence, including in the Piazza della Signoria and Villa de Villa di Maiano uh, in Fisoli uh, served as the sorry Villa di Maiano in Fisoli served as the Pension Bertolini whatever that is something from the book I guess <laughs> I guess we'll find out we'll find out uh, so uh, this is the, the the fun fact this film was produced by Ismail Merchant and he and James Ivory were not only just producers together but also lovers. Uh, uh, or what passed in 1985 for a gay, gay married couple, and this is according to uh, IMDb, I believe. Uh, James Ivory would come out later and say that they were in a committed relationship for 44 years. Um, and, and when we did Remains of the Day, I had no idea. I had mm -hmm. I saw nothing about. Now, to be fair, I didn't do like a big search yeah, on James Ivory, but we had no about that. And... Yeah, I had not seen any in, uh, information that James Ivory was gay. I was unaware. So. Uh, in a BBC interview aired in 1986, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who stars in the film, described his character as being, quote, the sort of person you imagine you might be in your worst nightmares, end quote. So I'm interested to hmm. meet his character. Well, I know nothing about this movie. Seems a little dramatic. Apparently. Uh, a Room of the View appeared on 61 critics' 10 best lists in 1986 when it came out, making it one of the most acclaimed films of the year. Only a film I've never heard of called Hannah and Her Sisters appeared on more lists. I have also never heard of that. But it was on more critics' top 10 lists, uh, but <laughs> second was uh, A Room with a View. And then Roger Ebert, big fan, gave the film four out of four stars, writing, quote, It is an intellectual film, but intellectual about emotions. It encourages us to think about how we feel instead of simply acting on our feelings. Uh, so he was a huge fan of this film. Oh, seal of approval. Yep. Uh, and that was the only review I found or on, on Wikipedia. Normally there's quite a few uh, quotes or, you know, reviews quoted, but that was the only one. So it was the only one I cared about is Roger Ebert anyways, because I like to see what he has to say. <laughs> uh, we'll see if I agree and, uh, with his four out of four rating. Katie, uh, before we get to where people can watch it, we want to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash this film is lit sports for a couple bucks a month. Get access to bonus content and other good stuff. You can also do us a giant favor by heading over to page or sorry, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, any of the social media platforms. Follow us there um, and, and interact. And, and, you know, we'll we'll read your comments on the prequel episodes like we did earlier in this one. Katie, this one was a patron request from one of our $15 Academy Award winning patrons. And who was that? My mom. Your mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I it wasn't like technically a request. Like it kind of was, but my mom has never put Are in. Are you an, admitting uh, on yes. air that you're gaming the system in favor of nepotism and it will not stand? My mom has never put in an official request, but a couple months ago we were getting lunch and she said to me, I hope you guys do a room with a view one day because I just love that movie. There you go. And also uh, tomorrow's her birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Um, 
today when you guys are hearing yes this when episode. you're listening to the prequel episode it is yeah. katie's mom's birthday there you go so happy birthday happy mom. birthday uh, we're doing this movie for you there you go katie where can people watch a room with a view um well you can check with your local library uh, or a local video rental store if you still have one mm-hmm. pretty good chance your library will have yeah it. this seems like a good or, library or movie. be able to get it for you yeah uh, if not, you can stream this with a subscription through Fubo, HBO Max, Showtime, Showtime through Amazon Prime, Showtime through Roku, the Criterion channel. Yes, this is a Criterion yes. collection of film. Um, or DirecTV. Yep. Or you can rent it for around 3 to $4 through Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, or Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, if you're in America, it's on HBO Max. I saw that when I was looking at the movie. And so that's mm-hmm. how we'll be watching it. I'm pretty have sure Max. I also have this one on DVD. Yeah. Yep. Pretty sure well, I do. Yeah. But we'll be watching on HBO Max. So it's in <laughs> good quality and not 720p or whatever HBO DVDs are. Um, but yeah, uh, there's all the places you can watch it. Go check out A Room with a View uh, and come back in one week's time. We'll be talking about it. I'm excited to watch this because yeah. I've never seen it. Uh, I still don't know what it's about. I love this movie. I haven't watched it for a long time. I assume it's just like a romance. Yeah, it's a romance. Kind of deal. Um, I have read the book. It's been a solid decade since I read the book. And at the time, it didn't make like a huge impression on me. I definitely okay. liked the movie better okay. like 10 years ago. So I'm interested to see if that will change now that I can approach it as uh, an older, less of an idiot person. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody else is, too. And we'll be back in one week's time to talk about it. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being awesome. awesome.